I couldn't really go out much because of the agoraphobia that was developing, and I didn't know what it was. You know, I just remember sitting there making craft dinner with potatoes in it, talking to my roommates, saying, "Yeah, you ever, you ever get that weird feeling sometimes, you guys, when you go outside and it feels like the room or the street is spinning, and you have to sit down because you're going to pass out, and your heart is racing, and I feel like you're going to black out right there." And I'm thinking, well, this is something everybody must be going through at some point. And my roommates just looked at me strange, like, uh, uh, Brent, no, 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 we've never felt that before. Maybe you should go get that checked out. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax, or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everyone to another episode of Every Old Podcast where we have different guests come on and talk about instances in their life where things didn't go the way they expected it to go and they felt some sort of way. But as we look back days, weeks, months, years later, was it really an L or was it something else? Now, a quick story. I have been playing with the idea of saying, why did I call this podcast Every L? Why didn't I just do it like overcoming difficulties or trials or whatever it is and i can honestly say it's because an l is subjective just like failure and success is whatever you see it as being and we have various things in our lives that is personal that we feel that i really wanted that i really wanted to go this way and it didn't for one reason or another and you look back and you see that it was something you gained from that experience and that's personally why I'm thinking I'm going to keep this and I love it because it opens up the door to so many possible conversations in terms of you look at the catalog I've got already people are talking about what they want to talk about it's not me prompting them it's them sharing what they feel comfortable doing I'm grateful for them coming on and sharing what they share it's deeply personal to them and I'll respect that what they're giving me is personal to them and I'll honor them by putting out in the best way possible and I hope And I know you guys are because I've had feedback, but I hope you guys get something really fulfilling from this conversation and just appreciate the individuals that are coming on and sharing what they're sharing. So all their, all their social handles are going to be in the show notes anyway. So feel free to reach out to them and just tell them a little bit of how you felt and, you know, whatever else you got from it, please, obviously nothing but love. If you want to, if you've got aggro with it or anything like that, come, come at me, come find me and we'll have that conversation. But other than that, I just wanted to put that out there and just talk about it because it's on my mind. So today I have a guest. They are fantastic. We know this. This is what I say. They are fantastic. I do not have anyone below a fantastic status. And this individual, I came across them a couple of weeks ago, I think it was. And we just happened to have a chat back and forth. And it just just natural. Then they said they heard my podcast. I kind of blush, which is impressive because it's hard to blush with his tan. He's got a podcast. I then thought, ah, oh, let me have a gander. Let me go check it out. 
Oh my gosh, people, the production value on that. All I can say is if you listen to his podcast, don't come back and listen to mine for about a week. Just let me have that moment where I'm not in direct competition with him because he's just, wow. It's so well put together. It's something where both my wife and I agreed that we like it a lot. And she's like, that's like this show that I used to watch. And she's not watching the show anymore because it stops, but she still likes it. So she's going to jump on the podcast and listen to him. And then I've got another friend who's into that type of stuff. And I showed her that. So yeah, it's one It's one I recommend. I'm not going to tell you the name of it because I'm going to let him do it. But anyway, this gentleman is so fantastically entertaining, to be honest. He's so well-spoken, so pleasant. And I'm grateful for the brief interaction we've had that when he told me a little bit about himself and asked him if he were to jump on, he obliged. And here we are with him willing to share whatever he's going to share. His name is Brent. He's a fantastic human being who I'm grateful to, like I said, to speak into. He didn't have to engage me like he did where we did online. I believe it might have been Facebook. But here we are. Facebook doesn't normally have many good things come from it. <laughs> In this instance, something positive did, and I'm running with that. So for this minute, I'm going to ask Brent to introduce himself as he sees fit, telling us where he's at, whatever, whatever he wants to share that he's comfortable sharing, and then we'll go on to his first L. Brent, how are you doing, sir? Oh, pretty good, Matt. Thanks for having me on board. And I feel the same way about your podcast when I got to hear it. There's something in your voice. And I think your questions are great, too. And you, the way you gave the your guest space, I think it's awesome. And I just, you know, you said something really interesting in your introduction here. And if you don't mind, I'd like to add on to that. You, you talked about um, the name of your podcast, uh, Every L and how you're going to keep that. And I think you should. There's also something else in your byline you used. It was really good. It was something to the effect of, if it didn't go the way you wanted. I love that because I'll tell you something about myself and the way some of your other guests I've listened to, and I, I think a lot of guests would feel the way I do, is that, yeah, we overcame some things in our life, right? But come on, you know, like, as you get older, you realize that so many people had so many way, way, way tougher challenges in their lives, like just astronomical challenges. And then you go back into history and you see the absolute challenges through history through all these different countries and people and nations and ethnic groups. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of weird you know, to go on and to talk about things you went through because you know, in my mind, it seems like, well, they weren't, they weren't nearly as bad as other people had. But like you say, it, it's, it comes down to how that person felt and what it put them through. It was like Jonah Hill had a new show not long ago with his psychiatrist on Netflix. It was quite good. And I thought, wow, you know, that's pretty cool that he would go on there. And Jonah Hill's biggest thing was that he was overweight as a kid. So, you know, to me, that take, kind of takes guts because, you know, most of the world's going, wow, he's probably a multimillionaire. He's rich and famous, and he's kind of a big deal. And his complaint is that he was overweight. When you look at history and people and what you see, every day you can go outside and look and see somebody far, far worse off. I will get into what I went through anyways, and maybe there's some people that can take away from that. I'm sure they will. But yeah, introduce yourself, my friend. Let people know who you are. Yeah, my name is Brent Truitt. I live in Canada. 
I'm in Saskatchewan now. I'm uh, actually 59 years old, and I just started a podcast in January. The name of the podcast is called randydarling.com. Brilliant. Thank you very much for sharing. Guys, girls, however you identify, go check it out. You will enjoy it. Right, so your first L that you want to talk about. Folks, like I said, I, I, I think I know a, a, a very loose, loose version of this in a brief interaction, but we're going to hear a little bit more in depth. And the first L that Brent wants to talk about is moving to Vancouver at age 19 to pursue the music business, but developing crippling agoraphobia, anxiety instead, living in a rundown building surrounded by bizarre characters. Reading that just feels like I read a script and that's making me feel all sorts of, I'm going to use the word icky, because bizarre characters, me feeling anxious, I don't want to feel like that. I want to feel like when I'm somewhere, I feel safe, I feel protected. That sounds like anything but that. So, yeah, please read it back to the top where you feel it's relevant to start and let me know how that, what that actually looked like as a, as an experience. Yeah. So it all seemed good at the time. You know, I was a teenager, finished high school, and I, I really just dreaded the idea of ever, ever working nine to five or working a job where I didn't have the choice to do what I wanted to do when I want to do it. Like, you know, everyone's dream, I guess, right? And I always thought music was the answer. But I was living, you know, in a sort of lower middle class home on a place called Vancouver Island. But, you know, it's very pretty, you know. If anyone's ever been to British Columbia, it, it looks great from the outside, everywhere. Everyone, anybody listening to this probably say, well, Vancouver, that's a real beautiful city. Well, yeah, it, it's beautiful if you have money and you're making more than a few thousand bucks a month. But if you're only making $300 a month and you're young and you don't know any better, you end up getting into staying. I like to call them unfortunate buildings. I, I was living with my parents. I was good. I have good parents and all. And I left all of that. That safety you talk about, I had that, you know. So in a way, I was just a tourist. I was just a, a tourist coming into that part of the town, East Vancouver, and in a very rundown building, and there was a lot, you know, all the elements are there. As Dave Chappelle would say, uh, all the symptoms were there. He's <laughs> his nice way of putting it, right? So anyways, it was all there, but that's all new to me. You know, I was an innocent kid. I, well, not innocent, but uh, naive kid. And I was like... I swear to this day, it still traumatized me at the time because I just never dealt with these kind of people, you know, uh, you know, pimps living in the building with you uh, and some of the, the sex workers in that building, literally criminals with criminal records. Yeah, it was just a real eye opener. So I got into this building and then I thought, okay, well, this is the plan, you know, we're going to do music. Well, it soon turned out like within a couple of months, I was uh, basically fired from the band because I was, you know, quite insane. And I couldn't really go out much because of the agoraphobia that was developing, and I didn't know what it was. You know, I just remember sitting there making craft dinner with potatoes in it, talking to my roommates, saying, 
yeah, you ever, you ever get that weird feeling sometimes, you guys, when you go outside and it feels like the room or the street is spinning and you have to sit down because you're going to pass out and your heart is racing and I feel like you're going to black out right there. And I'm thinking, well, this is something everybody must be going through at some point. And my roommates just looked at me strange, like, uh, uh, Brent, no, 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 we've never felt that before. Maybe you should go get that checked out. So then I went to a doctor and the doctor said, he went on this big diatribe about how I'm just young and I, I lack confidence because I'm young and because I'm young, I haven't really got a lot of experience and I haven't really accomplished anything that one day if I was confident, I would be like him and the, all that, all these problems would go away and I'm just a nervous kid. My jaw is dropping like, God, this guy's like a major asshole, right? And then he actually came out and said, I'll never forget. He said, yeah, you know what? When I go to a party, I walk in there and I, I'm totally confident and I can talk to any girl I want. This is like a grown man, my doctor, right? So that didn't help at all, but it was funny when I look back on it. I went to another doctor and they, they diagnosed that it's obviously it's high anxiety, agoraphobia. And uh, that comes along with medications, which I was scared to death of. And if anybody listening to this has agoraphobia, they know exactly what I'm talking about, all the symptoms you get. Absolute stricken terror of being outside. And one of the weirdest things you get when you go outside is you think everybody out there, <laughs> it's hilarious, eh? Everybody out there is watching you. They're, they're, they, can, they can see you or... I remember thinking to myself, they can all see I'm broken and the buses and transit were terrible. And I, I don't know what it's like in the UK, Matt, but like in Vancouver, it's still the same. Like when you go ride the transit, it's so bizarre because you'll be on a bus filled with people, like just standing room only, right? And they have these uh, trolleys, you know, the electric trolleys. And you get on them, and I remember a fall day, you know, I'm in the uh, in that trolley in the bus, packed, standing room only, and it was fall. The driver opens the doors, and it was so quiet in there. I could hear the leaves rustling on, on, on the concrete outside after he opened the door. I wasn't too far from the front still, of course, but still, that silent. And it used to drive me crazy. I used to think, and sometimes I did crazy things when I was in the middle of these fits of freaking out because sometimes I had to get a job and I had to ride the transit. So it was horrible, right? And uh, I remember going on there, someone's just actually being angry. Like, why are you people on this trolley? So many of them seem to have, uh, you know, resting bitch face. And I, I, it just drive me crazy. So I will, I go down the, the, in on the bus and I would just start saying hi to everybody. Hey, like, hi, how you doing, sir? Hi, ma'am. You know, say hi to about three or four people on the way down just to see the reaction you would get from these people. And oh my God, they look at you like you're right off the funny farm, you know, like you're right off your meds. And the funny part about that is, is that I truly was off my meds. Yeah. I was having mental problems. So, so anyways, then you find out later that, you know, agoraphobia's got a neat name, but hey, man, guess what? That's called mental illness. Well, when you hear that about yourself and you realize that you have some mental illness, it scares the hell out of you.
And one of the biggest mistakes I made is I basically cut off communication with my family. Oh, boy, that's the worst thing, you know. That's the one thing I regret the most because they wanted to help. But I was stubborn, and and for uh, family reasons, I didn't. I just didn't want to go there. So that isolated me even more. So it got quite bad. I couldn't eat, uh, you know. I should be, I'm, I'm pretty tall, I'm like six foot three, so I should have been, you know, 180, 190 pounds, but I had actually dropped to 140, 135 at one point. And that, the thing was there, I didn't really have enough money to uh, get good food, good quality food. And I certainly didn't have the wherewithal to make good quality food because I got to admit, I did self-medicate. I did use meds, but they weren't professional meds, as they call it. Um, they were, it was marijuana. So, and I found out later that, you know, this is self-medicating one-on-one. So what I did is I just self-medicated to the point where I was never really not good and high. So I would be, I would get a bit of sleep at night. And that's the one time I wouldn't be high because I'm not smoking. And unfortunately with that, uh, marijuana cannabis, when you overuse it like that, really not recommended for people with anxiety issues because it can really trigger it the other way, uh, especially when you, you're all of a sudden you're coming down and you're not high anymore. So I tried lots of different things. Uh, luckily, I didn't get into any heavy drugs, and that's one great thing about being poor. You can't afford those drugs, right? I'm really glad I couldn't. You know, so I could, all I could afford was the cheap stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I did, let's put it this way, Matt. I was doing everything wrong, everything wrong. And I, there's no way you can really help yourself with that, the kind of uh, activities I was taking part in. So, yeah, that was my big L. But I'll tell you something. I have another L was before that. I just want to go into that briefly. So I was born with what they call congenital hips. And it's no big deal either. Like people, lots and lots of people have congenital birth defects. So the congenital hips is just an extreme version of pigeon toes. In my, in my case, it was. So I had the Forrest Gump braces and all that crap. And I, I had to sleep on a, on my feet were strapped to a board at night. I had to sleep on my back for two or three years. So my first time of ever meeting the world, going to school in grade one, I didn't, didn't do kindergarten. I had I had those braces on when I went to school. So that was my introduction to the world, and unbeknownst to me as a child, no one ever said, well, if you look different, you're probably going to get not treated that well. And it was it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And I, I just despised school, and I really think that sort of brought later life agoraphobia into play too because I was just terrified of human beings quite frankly uh, especially large groups of human beings because i didn't know what they were going to say or do but anyways so both of these situations that little that little l the little kid in grade one and i guess the the, the young adult in 19 i think the biggest win i got out of it matt was compassion you know like i just there's some people in this world and we all meet them and if they, they almost have, if they're true narcissists, they almost have zero empathy for others. And then there are some, they can manage a little bit of empathy, but not a lot. 
And quite often, they're kind of lucky people who never really had any big bumps. But any of the, all the people in this world know it, and, and anyone who's ever been through any kind of a, a troublesome time in their life where things didn't go where they, where they wanted, they will learn empathy. I, 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 usually they do, compassion. Hopefully not. they don't learn anger. I know that rarely happens. You hear about these shooters in the States and that. I think a lot of them are, sometimes they went through bullying and bad times and being poor or whatever, and they just got angry and, and took it out on the world and just have a hate on for the world, you know. But if you're lucky, most people aren't like that. Most people, they gain compassion from it, and I have that. So what, and I'm really happy for it because I'm a happier person for it, you know. And I also think sometimes if you, you've, you've been there, especially with agoraphobia, that was so scary that I remember times like, well, I hate to say it, but close to suicide was a couple times. And I remember going out and, and I would just try because they called exposure therapy. So just get out and go somewhere. So I, would, I found a trick that near the apartment I had, there was a small field. And I would wait till the perfect time of day when there hardly be anybody there. And I just go lay down and call it grounding. My mother used to call it grounding. Go go ground yourself, Brent. And that means just go lay in the grass. Hopefully it's a nice day. And lay down and grab the grass with your hands. And, and take your shoes off, put your feet on the grass, and just look up at the sky. And that, that really did help me. Because it grounded me. But I, I swear, in life you look around, you'll see people running through life so fast and the old cliche they're not smelling the flowers they're not smelling the roses and it's so true and i tell you if i didn't have those bad issues i don't think i would be a person capable of sitting back and going wow what a beautiful day you know like wow look at the way those trees are that kind of thing so that that's one thing yeah i learned from it and the other, but the on the bad side there was this issue where I would have as a teenager and really came out. And I used to call it bullying the bullies. And I just absolutely despised bullies to the core of my soul. And I remember when I was in school, I got a lot of fights. I would look for bullies. If I could find one, it would make my day. And then I would take bad action, not good action, to verbally or physically, but meant to make their life a living hell because I just despise them so much. And I remember years later at a counselor's office in the school and, and the counselor saying, you know, you've had more fights than any one of my students I've talked to in a long time. Do you have trouble at home? You know, going through all that. And I, I, I told them, I said, the story, I said, it's just because I, can, I just can't stand somebody's a bully. And, and he said, well, you know what you are now? You are a bully. Uh, oh my God, he's right. It doesn't matter how bad that other person is. It doesn't matter if they're a bully. If you do that back to them, you're exactly the same, maybe worse. That was a big eye opener, you know. So I'll never ever forget that teacher. That sounds like that quote from him. Um, oh, is it a dark night? I'm not sure. When I mean, it says you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And in a sense where you was kind of helping to sort of save the people that were being bullied by these bullies, right. you went on the offensive and people didn't see you as being a hero anymore. 
because you was causing fights where there was no issue in the first place. Yeah. So yeah, there's a phrase that I'm very familiar with, which is see danger before danger sees you. Yeah. Which is a way of my mom saying she was overprotective and stuff like that. I get it. Cool. I'm like that with my kids. But sometimes you need to wait for it to happen in order for you to, for your reaction to be justified. Yeah. If you don't react, if, there, if there's nothing that's happened, your reaction is then seen as over the top or too forceful, if that makes sense. Exactly. And that's, and that brings me right to what I was going to say is that after a while, this bad attitude progresses. And then guess what, right? The triggers are everywhere to be found if you want to look, right? You'll see somebody just make a face expression, right? It just goes down this slope and it's maybe nothing at all. They're not a bully, but you're so geared in with your feelers up looking for that those bad actors that you are a bully. It's really scary. It kind of reminds me of, you know, they hear about these horrible crimes happening or, you know, even our sexual abuse or things like that that happens in this evil part of the corners of our world. And nine times out of 10, right? Those people who are killers or abusers, they, uh, they were abused themselves. So yeah, we have to break the chain, right? Like whatever, flaws we have in our life we have to grow up you know become an adult and and wake up a little bit and say yeah yeah no you need to take a good look in the mirror at yourself right so so that's that that's how turning that l has helped me in life because i as, as i came an adult i kept my eyes open and became a lot more empathetic towards other people's stuff uh, you realize the world doesn't revolve around you and you know, maybe try to help somebody instead of just your own concerns and your own little world. And yeah, just part of maturing in a way. But, you know, I, I make it sound like everyone gets older and they mature and then and then and they get a little bit of wisdom and they get some empathy. But man, you know what? I met I met guys 20 years older than me down to Palm Springs uh, with own two large yachts. And they're swinging their golf clubs at the caddy because he didn't look at his ball the right way. So yeah, some people never learn, right? There's so much to unpack from what you said. And my mind's telling me at the moment that everyone does mature. I agree with you on that, on that side. It's just that it, the way they, the way they've matured or have empathy with, sometimes they fight it so much that it doesn't materialize in the way that it should. And it's only revealed to a select few because they don't want to be perceived somewhere. So for instance, we all get to this certain point, this is how I'm thinking at the moment, I could be wrong, and I might change how I feel later. But we all live in our lives, not knowing much about what's going on. We're just trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. Then eventually something clicks and we've forgotten about everything that happened before and we're fully awoken to where we are now and who we are. We're now self-aware and we start investing in ourselves start refining our qualities and you know this is who we are we've done it for so many years now that when something happens says you can't do that anymore that's offensive or that's wrong or whatever you take offense to that because you feel begrudged by the fact that or aggrieved because i've spent so much time and investment on this that now you're telling me i'm doing it wrong <laughs> you what and you're and you you don't want to then accept it you then react with anger rather than with compassion and saying, mate, 
I wanted to leave all my fails and my ills back prior to when I woke up. I hate the fact that I'm awake, self-aware, and you're telling me I've still done it wrong for so long. I struggle with that. And that's where my head's at. That's how I feel yeah. people potentially are. It could be me manifesting my own self. I've got no problem admitting that. There are times where I've said things and I've realised, wow, that's probably not right. And it's not even me saying it. That It could be someone bringing it to my attention. And I'll hold my hands up and say, do you know what? I'm here to learn. Let's, let's, let's have it right. Let's make sure we can do the best thing. But I don't think everyone is in that position to do it because we're all we're all learning, we're all awakening at different points. And I guess it's it's hard when we're somewhere and we expect people to be there with us because I would like to think when you was younger, prior to you to going off to Vancouver, you had people telling you stuff and you probably didn't hear it because you weren't that person. But later on, you could probably go, I hear that now. That makes so much sense. Oh, yeah. I see it. My father's still alive. And all the things he said to me, he was, he, he doesn't talk much. It's hard for me to understand how he felt as a, when I was a kid, you know. And I'm always, I was always looking for his approval, right? You know, like just, oh, just a, just a glint from his eye. Oh, I'd be on top of the moon, right? I, I look back on it now, and yeah, he would. He was always giving me little hints. Once in a while, just a little jewel will pop out. As a kid, I I didn't even know what was what was happening. Right? I was. It was just a. It just seemed like. It just seemed like the world was a very scary place. Right? I can tell you're probably the last person that's gonna uh, not be self-aware. Right? Like you can literally when you're talking, you can tell you're thinking. You know, there's thought going on, and it makes sense. You're not rambling on like you're doing a a real fast, uh, repetitive speech, like at an auction or something, right? I mean, you can tell there's thought going on as you're speaking. So, yeah, I don't think you ever have to worry about that one. You know? No, I was saying I was agreeing with you. I was saying yeah, but I guess if I was to go further onto it, there are times that I catch myself reverting to to type the the things that I've been taught by not just my parents, but what I've been exposed to growing up. And that just becomes my initial reaction. So it's all well and good me being considerate and thinking about what I'm saying as I'm saying it, but it can, and it has been misinterpreted is that I am being fake because I'm being mindful of what I'm saying. So people think you're not being honest. It's like, no, no, I'm being honest, but I just don't want there to be any confusion. But then there is still confusion there because I'm not just rapid firing off the whatever I'm saying. And I don't want my lack of a vocabulary or consideration of a situation or reading a room to land me in a bigger hole than the one I'm probably thinking in the first instance. So agoraphobia sounds terrifying. Not to say that because that's how you felt stepping out your front door, but it literally feels crippling knowing that you just had this overwhelming feeling where ah oh, what did you did you have any 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 idea that this was actually a symptom that you had prior to being diagnosed as having agoraphobia no and that, that's what is so terrifying because a 19 year old kid doesn't know has been around enough to know about this i never heard it from anyone in our family 
we didn't have the internet then. This is 1981. No, no clue what's hitting you. So the, then the real fear comes, and as anybody who's gone through anxiety knows, just like uh, Eleanor Roosevelt put it best, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Uh, everyone attributes that to uh, FDR, her husband, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. But actually, it was his wife who came up with that one. And that's so true with anxiety. It's terrified of the next bout of fear. That's the, the best way to put it, you know. Even till today. Oh, yeah. But I'm on meds. I've been on meds since for 27 years, I guess. Like I, I take Paxil every day. And if, if I don't take a, a medication... Like an SSRI, my world just crumbles right in. My stomach just starts to tighten up in knots. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I'm in full-blown panic. Better not put me near a bridge, right? So... Yeah, so I, mean, I know people go online and they talk about these horrible SSRIs and some of these medications. But if you're, you know, I had to. It saved my life, you know, Matt. Like, it just saved what my life. What is actually SSRI? Sorry. Uh, serotonin, serotonin reuptake inhibitors. I can't remember the exact acronym. Serotonin reuptake inhibitor is the best way to put it. And, it, and all I know is that it works it works in your brain and uh, it allows certain chemicals not to be released. Very common, antidepressants, right? People, so many people are on them. So question for you then, with, with you being so young, I, was you far away from your home then, your family home when, when you got to this place? Luckily, no, they were in, on Vancouver Island and I was in Vancouver. So Vancouver Island is a, an hour and a half ferry ride. But uh, I rarely saw them. That was my own fault. Stupidity. It, they might as well have been in, in, in Turkey. Were there an option for you in terms of support or was it no? It's either my friends, self-medicate. They're not an option for me for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, the, my big thing was I didn't want to admit it. I, I just didn't want to admit that I had a problem, that this was something very serious and I had to reach out for help. But when, by, when I finally went to the doctor, um, I, I, those two doctor visits I told you about, even then I didn't go take proper medications and follow through with anything. I just went home feeling more frustrated than ever. So yeah, I wasn't in the mindset to take anybody's uh, advice or help. What I should have done, Matt, was crawled home to my parents' place immediately gone into the fetal position, stuffed my thumb in my mouth and start from there and got their help, you know, like just that is, you know, the best thing a person can do is finally just say, oh my God, yeah, I, I have a problem. I need to get some help and I, I need to get professional help. I need to read books. And for me, that's what it was in my adult life. I, I read tons of books and, you know, medic, tried different medications, went to doctors, different doctors, talk to my my who my wife is now and stop taking and stop using cannabis that was a big important part um and eventually eventually what happens and this is kind of i know this isn't great news for anybody who has agoraphobia or high anxiety listening in 
but I'm 60 now. Maybe I have a better wisdom. And I hope this helps them. What happens is, all of a sudden, that fear of the fear, it kind of starts to lessen a bit because you've been there. And not only have you been there, you've been there many, many times. So even to this day, even with medication, I still get in some real bad anxiety attacks. Not full-blown agoraphobia. I'm not, I have no problem going outside, although I do choose not to go very often. People who have had these bad anxieties, whatever your symptoms are, make sure you reach out to all your family members, the ones that care, truly care, and you know who they are. <laughs> you know who they are. Make sure you get to your doctors. Don't be afraid of a bit of a medication, at least trying it if your doctor says it's okay with your health condition and just keep on trying please don't give up you're going to be fine it'll it'll work itself out eventually my god when i was going through my anxiety moments in life i would just listen to tapes of people saying those words don't worry you're going to be okay you're not alone there's literally millions of people who've gone through this and still are going through this so you'll be okay and you will come out the other end of this anxiety attack you all, you did before. There's nothing to stop you now. You will get through this, whatever you're going through, whatever symptoms you're feeling. This too shall pass, as my mother always says. This too shall pass. So that's the thing. As you get older, you I hate to say it, but that <laughs> kind of helps you. You've been through it so many times. You learn that you will be okay eventually. I like that you said that because that's kind of what this is built upon, the fact that you can look back and recount all the different situations you've been through and thought, yo, if I can get through every one of my worst days thus far, who to say I can't go through my next worst situation and so forth and so forth. But hearing what you're saying to the listeners and the, about being anxious to the point where you're in that state, you're shaking, you just, you know, you're just not in a good place. And you're saying this too shall pass. If you was to have said that to your younger self back when you was 19, do you think you would have actually heard yourself? Or do you think it would be like, what's this guy on about? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to finish rolling this up. I'm going to, I'm going to light this up and I'm going to sit pretty. Do you think that's the way you'd go? Or do you think you'd actually take heed to what you just said? Well, that is such a good question. Yeah, the reality is, Matt, now even, if I'm having a bad anxiety attack for some reason, or sometimes when I when I go from one bottle to the medication to the next, sometimes it's a little different maybe from the factory, and sometimes I'll go through a bout. And if I ever get a bad anxiety attack, when I say, the, and those anxious people out there who have been through this are listening to me right now, they, when I said that, Matt, they're probably going, their probably reaction is like, yeah, saw it off that's you know you're full of it pal because it's impossible to think that way it's, when you're that scared and you're going through that terrible moment so you're you're right i want to listen to myself i still don't like if i'm going through that bout that that voice saying don't you're going to be okay you've been through this before just give it some time try not to panic any further you can get through this at the time when you are going through anxiety, and yes, you're saying that voice is there, but it's very faint. And I'm thinking like a dog whistle faint where you need to have canine ears to even hear it. 
how do you as an individual how do you navigate that period of time where you have or have not taken your meds you're in a situation that you wish you pray wasn't in but all of a sudden you're crippled by this overwhelming sense of anxiety lack of control i want to say because when I've suffered with anxiety, it feels like I have no control. Life's just happening to me rather than happening for me. What are you telling yourself or what techniques do you use to get yourself from crap? I can't breathe properly to, all right, I've got this. Like what, if you don't mind sharing, what does that look like for you? What are you telling yourself? How do you guide yourself through it? Well, you know what I do is um, I, I love Eckhart Tolle, right? He talks about the mind, right? So what I do is I tell myself the same thing. It's a mantra. I say, do not trust your mind. Do not trust my mind. I do not trust this mind. It's nothing but trouble. It's wrapped up with his ego. And I, it's to me, it's a physical solution. And you're going to laugh when I say it. And I, I, never tell, I never told anybody this. But I go to my bedroom. I crawl up in bed. And I put on an old show on my iPad, and I sit there, and something really dumb, something about as dumb as you can find, is the, the dumber the better, the more boring the better. I'll watch old Twilight Zone shows, or I'll, I'll watch Rockford Files, you know, something like that, something really docile. And uh, in my case, those kind of shows bring me back to when I was a child, when I felt safe, when I was with my mom, living with my mom and dad. That's when I felt the safest. And so I'll watch shows from that era when I was living with my parents as a child. And I'll lay down in bed. Because the best thing ever is sleep. Uh, if you can get to sleep, that I, I'll, I'll, I'll go through a real bad bout. I'll go off. I'll lay down. I'll put those old shows on. I'll tell my wife what's happening. She's always, she's always monitoring me, the poor lady. And I close the door and maybe let my dog in with me and then I'll, I'll i'll eventually go to sleep after watching the show long enough and then the vibrating kind of slows down uh and everything calms down you go to sleep we wake up and i'm good so literally matt that's that's it that's all i do so no, i'm not smoking any 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 big uh, spliffs anymore i just thought it was interesting to hear because it's all well and good sort of yeah you'll get through this yeah but how you know there's so many times where if you think about it, someone could say, you're going to be a success in life. Yeah, but how? Right. You know what? You're going to you're gonna get a mortgage when you're older. Yeah, but how? Right. Oh, you're going to have so many kids. As, yeah, but how am I going to finance this? Like, yeah. it's all well and good telling me I'm going to reach a destination. Yeah. But if you are not providing me with the vehicle, if you're not providing me with, with the directions, if you're not giving me money for the fuel or electric, depending on what you're driving, the, the destination means nothing to me if I don't know how I'm expected to get there. And sometimes if you're in a position where you do suffer with panic attacks or anything like that, the reality is, is that you're going to get anxiety over having panic attacks. It's a constant, it's a perpetual cycle. Exactly. And if you don't know how to navigate that situation, don't get it wrong. I would imagine everyone's way of dealing with it is unique to themselves it's nice to hear how someone's done it themselves because I'm a firm believer that if success was a number and that number was 10, there's not just one way of getting to that number. 
Right. You can do 100 minus 90. You could do three times three plus one. You can do 11 minus one. Whatever way you want. You can even throw pi in there if you really want to. Mm. I don't care. And another way of output success, if you think of it like a pizza, some people like vegetarian options. Some people like pineapples on there. Don't talk to me if you like that. Um, you've got people that like meat feast and all the rest of it. But whatever toppings you do or do not like on your pizza makes it no less of a pizza because that's what you want. So what I want and what you want fundamentally is the same. It's a version, it's a form of success, but it just looks different because we've added different recipes to it. I may not suffer with panic attacks to the degree that you do, but it doesn't mean that I can't necessarily relate to you. It just means that, wow, that's how you do with it. I'm okay, cool. We overlap a certain way, but what you said is really encouraging and really helped me to sort of feel like, it's not selfish if I need to say to my missus, I need to go lay down. That's not selfish. That's a necessity. Exactly. And you know, it's funny. You should, you mentioned that like some people, like you said, you you may not go through the, these, these full blown ugly panic attacks, but you know what? Everybody on this planet, any human being is going to have these times where it gets pretty close, right? <laughs> they may not be doing a full-blown panic attack, running down the street in the middle of the night, ripping off their clothes, lighting their hair on fire. But they're close. They're, they're going through some extreme situations with family or work or their children or something, whatever it may be, and, and they're close. And I think, Matt, that's why some people are afraid. to. They don't want to listen to this stuff, you know, this, this kind of conversation we're having i know and i've said this before in previous episodes but i know my children are not going to listen to me all the time they barely listen to me as it is but i'd like to think that as they get older they're going to sometimes think life's coming at them personally like it's a personal vendetta 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 against them and the reality is it's not life just happens to people in general and by them being able to hear the various conversations with different people irrespective of what they look like, what they sound like, uh, what their names are and stuff like that. I've got a whole host of different people like that for that reason, so that everyone can relate to someone and hear what happens and go, oh, so it's not just me. Nah, life don't discriminate. Life just comes at you, scattergun approach. Don't feel no way about it. And ultimately, if other people benefit from this, then so be it. Because I want people to remove the idea that they have to go through things alone, that they are alone in these situations. We are all different, but we're not that dissimilar to one another. Too many times growing up, we got picked on, like you said, when you were younger, you got picked on for being different. But ironically, the things that made us different and then we potentially, we conform to be like the, like the masses. We then suffer with our mental health because we've lost our identity and then we have to fight to reclaim our identity but people keep pulling you back because all they know you as is oh you're generic specimen number one because that's what you've presented yourself as and you polish yourself up to be for so long but if you had the tenacity from a young age the fortitude to be able to know that whatever you're being taken a mick out for now trust me that's going to be your money maker growing up because that's going to be your unique selling point, your USB, because that is who you're meant to be and shouldn't let anyone take that away from you. It is unfortunate that you went through what you went through growing up, but what would you say you gained from going through that experience growing up? These struggles, these little L's, these big L's in our life, 
if you take them in and, and get some support and be honest with yourself, you can come out the other end. I really, really believe this. You've got some thicker skin. You've been through, been through it, and, and you, you can end up okay. It can have a happy ending. I know some people might want to puke with that kind of Pollyannish attitude, but I'm a real big believer in a can. Definitely. And just to clarify, so when you were younger and you had to wear your leg brace, how did you deal with that? Because I'm thinking I wouldn't have dealt with it very well, getting bullied or picked on or people comment on stuff that makes me feel a certain way. Don't get me wrong. I know now that me being going through that is not a bad thing. But at the time, kids don't make you feel that way. Kids just put you under. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's funny with, you know, back to the bullying of the bullies. Um, groups can be almost cowardly. Like, I remember times when, uh, you know, three kids chased me out of the school and I'm, I can't really run with the braces. And they tackled me to the ground and they took turns and they just stood on top of me just spitting and spitting and spitting in my face. And I remember thinking, you know, like it, it was bad enough, but one of the kids had a cold day. So it was just like, I was, oh God, it was this spit and phlegm. And I remember looking through this like cloud of spit and phlegm and I could see a couple of kids. Like they were watching me. I was watching this happen. And I remember knowing that these evil monsters, these horrible uh, creatures were on top of me. But, you know, the next day, I was way more angry with those kids that were witnessing it. And I, and I swore to myself, I would never, I will never be that person. You know, I never again. And, of course, I wouldn't. And so there's these people in society that I think that they, they've been there or they've, they've been there themselves, or they have been, been through a rough time. And you'll see these people, hey, Matt. You'll see them in public once in a while, and they'll just pop out of nowhere. Uh, when someone's going through something difficult, there's trouble going on, there's an accident, a car accident, or, or something, and some of these people, they'll just step right up, uh, and, and they'll just get, get right in there because they don't want to be a coward. And I know it sounds really dismal, and maybe I'm wrong, and but... I really think there's a lot of people that are just afraid to step up and say, hey, no, this isn't right. What's happening here? You know, to step up and grab those bullies by the scruff and say, no, this can't happen anymore, you know? So that gives you a sort of description of what it was like. It was horrible. It was really bad. And then that's when they stuck me into the special class for learning disability. I think I was just so traumatized by the whole situation that I couldn't learn because of that. So they stuck me into this class for the, uh, they call it special needs then. Uh, and then my mother, to this day, she thinks, oh, 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 oh your childhood was rough. And I, all here's, here's the sick part, Matt. All I can remember is the, the fun things mostly. Like, you know, rarely I'll ever talk about this. I, I think of, she's, oh, remember that school? And I said, oh yeah, oh, it was so fun. I remember when I got to ride a bike for the first time. And that's when I read my first, uh, comic book and that's when i had this first uh, toy and, and I, I think of all the fun things uh, i was doing and she goes oh oh you don't know what was happening at that time i said well i don't really want to talk about it. you know so sounds like a coping mechanism to be fair because maybe it was i believe the same is um when it happens to that childbirth a lot of people or uh, women when they go through childbirth they will 
experience excruciating pain, depending if they're taking any pain medications. And then, you know, a few months later, it's like, oh, I want another one. I'm getting broody. Did you not remember the pain, the blood, everything else? No, I don't remember it. And then they go through it again. And it's just, I think it's just a human body, just a survival technique, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but something definitely to be made aware of. But I am conscious of time. And I would like to ask you, if those situations that you went through, having your agoraphobia slash anxiety and your leg brace being teased on, being spat on, disgusting as it sounds hearing that and even saying it, if for those situations that in the in the heat of the moment, in the thick of it, it was an L, what is it if it's not an L? What did you gain from that situation now you're looking back on it so many years later? I'd say compassion and empathy for other people. Uh, when you see them struggling, uh, for any reason, for any reason, struggling, you know, um, not to the point you're a bleeding heart, you know, you can't solve everything in this world, right? But when you have a chance to be empathetic, you, you, you will be. And then there's another side, this is the one I have to watch out for, we talked about this early, bullying the bullies. There's that other side that when someone is uh, treating you the wrong way, or you're going through a tough time, whether it be at work, it could be in any situation. I kind of, I kind of know how to deal with that. So you have a kind of a confidence about it that you will, you, you'll, uh, how do I put it? You'll never be a victim again. I appreciate you coming on and sharing what you shared. It's, it's nice to hear someone else's perspective in terms of what they've gone through. I've not personally endured those things to that degree. So it is definitely an eye-opener to me. And if there's any listeners that can empathize with it, hopefully they're taking something away from this conversation that will let them know that they can get through it. This too shall pass. And maybe, yes, you want to protect yourself, but being on the offensive isn't necessarily always the best way to be because you could be seen as the bully rather than being the protector or being the saviour of a situation. It's one of those situations where it is a balancing act continuously throughout life where you want to be seen as a good guy or good girl, however you identify. But the reality is you're going to be a, a villain in someone's story. It's just someone's got to play that role. And unfortunately, sometimes it's going to be us. I, I don't like the movie and I've used this analogy so many times and, I'm, and it makes me feel like I'm selling it, but I promise you I don't like the movie. But was it Batman and versus Superman? It's such a silly movie. But, Superman's trying to save the world, save the universe, and he's fighting this guy. And the only reason Batman wants to fight him is because he's on ground zero watching his peers fighting for their lives because the building's getting wrecked and this getting wrecked. But when you're focused on Superman, you're thinking, no, he's trying to save the world. In that perspective, they are thinking, no, mate, look what you're doing. You're, you're destroying my house. You're destroying this. This brain covered by insurance and all sorts. So it's very much about no matter how good you're doing, no matter how well your intentions may be, there are going to be some instances where you are going to be perceived as the villain. And like it or lump it, just try not to let it impact you too much. Acknowledge what you've done and just keep moving and grow and evolve and become a better version of yourself than you were the day before. That's all we can ask. Through all these many conversations, I'm definitely getting there and I appreciate it. But what I'm going to ask you, Brent, for the next two minutes, if you could selfishly plug anything and everything you've got going on and where people can find you, sir. I mentioned a couple times the podcast. It's called Randy Darling. Uh, so 
all one word, uh, randydarling.com. So basically what happens in this podcast, um, the character that I've, my real person, uh, me, Brent, um, I've made the character Randy, the main character is after me. He's a musician. He lives in Vancouver in a rundown part of town in a rundown apartment building. He's got really bad uh, agoraphobia. He's, he's not diagnosed yet, so he's a complete mess. <laughs> and as much as you kind of feel for the character, at the same time, he can be quite obnoxious and even come across arrogant. The first episode, he moves into an apartment, and uh, and he realizes his neighbor is a thief. His name is Ola. Ola is a main character that you see throughout the series. It's a series of uh, stories. It's an odd, uh, drama. They call it a dramedy. So there's a lot of comedy to it, too, because of what Randy gets himself into. And he's, he's like this real savage self, self-help guru in a way. A savage life coach, I call him. And it's kind of funny because this guy's a convict and he's, uh, you know, for stealing cars and assault and robbery and all that stuff. So these are the main characters in the building. And then Randy ends up trying to get a job. He has to check, ride the, the transit with his agoraphobia and he's self-medicating with benzos. The second, the, the second or third episodes are called Benzos and the Bully. So he's basically on benzos and he goes to work. And what does he see? Well, we've been talking about my boss is a horrible racist, horrible racist, misogynist pig who treats the staff like garbage. He's, he's a garbage human being, basically, right? So Randy is trying his best, and he's, it's a horrible experience. It's, you have to hear it to believe it. <laughs> the podcast is definitely worth a listen. So folks, when you get a chance, go over there, have a listen. I'm sure you will enjoy. And... Yeah, I enjoyed the conversation. I've learned a lot. And I I just can't get over the fact that that phobia is a thing, that people can be in that situation. And it sounds terrifying. I identify that probably I have had anxiety attacks before. And it can be scary. But it's one of those things where whatever you're feeling, feel it, acknowledge it, and just know that Whatever you need to do as a coping mechanism to get through that moment, do it. And if you feel that, I could have done it better, then next time it happens, do it the way that you feel you could do it better and keep trying to improve upon what you did before because that's what life's all about. You're never going to win 100% of the time. That's not how life works. You can barely win for 24 hours of a day. So just do the best you can and no one's going to beef you about it. So you're all good. So I, uh, Brent, thank you very much for jumping on. And thank you for everyone for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of whatever you're doing. And I'll catch you in the next one. So please, before I forget, just remember, your right now is not your forever. Take care.